1: Today, on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
2: When we do operate in our flesh, and we try to do things our way, and not involve God as the central lead in our lives, some things could die. Maybe not us ourselves, we won't get punished in that way. But you start trying to lead your own life the way you want to do it and you want to be in control, you might see the death of a business. You can see the death of a career. You might see the death of a marriage. You can see the death of a friendship. You can see the death of a church.
1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through First Chronicles. The Old Testament is full of shocking events, including the account that Pastor Gary teaches on today. David tried to do the right thing the wrong way, and someone died as a result. By God's grace and mercy, we're not stricken dead anytime we break a commandment today. But that doesn't mean God is condoning rebellious behavior. We should strive to live life God's way. First and foremost, to honor Him, but we'll also see different areas of our life blessed as a result. If we just live according to our own standards, we're headed for failure. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message titled, Doing Things God's Way.
2: They put it on a cart driven by a couple of oxen, spank the oxen, and send it into Israel territory. Now, the first place that the oxen go, it crests over a hill, and the first little village, little town it comes to, is Kiriath Jerim. The men of Kiriath Jerim see the Ark of the Covenant, unmanned, driven by these oxen on a cart. And they're all excited. This is wonderful. God has brought back the Ark of the Covenant, the sacred object to the nation of Israel. They offload it, and they take it to the house of a guy by the name of Abinadab, who happens to be a priest living there in Kiriath-Jerim. That's where it will be for almost 70 years. The Bible says that it stays there for 20 years, but that really is a reference to 20 years leading up to the reign of Saul. Then 40 years of the reign of Saul, it stays in Abinadab's house. And then the reign of David. We're about seven and a half years into the reign of David. And he says, we need to bring up that ark from Kiriath-Jerim to Jerusalem. 20 years, 40 years, seven and a half years, 67 and a half years, almost 70 years. It was at this one guy's house. David says, "We need to make God central to the nation," and I'm going to go get the Ark of the Covenant. Now, Chronicles doesn't give us the number, but Samuel does. Second Samuel 6 tells us he gathers 30,000 of the Israelites to Kiriath-Jerim for this great and grand parade back to Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. So I want you to imagine the streets lined with 30,000 people, and it tells us here there's a great fanfare here. They're they're celebrating with all their might. They are rejoicing. They are worshiping. They got the music going. Look at verse 8. It even lists the instruments. We have harps, lyres, tambourines, cymbals, trumpets, So, we can get an idea of some of the people in the crowd, because you got tambourines, so we got the Pentecostals there, so that's good. We got them going, and it says we got liars, so we got a few politicians in the crowd too. And then something terribly goes wrong here. Something terribly goes wrong. In the midst of all this parade and the hoopla and, and all this, the music and the worship is all going on, all of a sudden again, the oxen stumble, the cart shifts. The Ark of the Covenant starts to slide and Uzzah, thinking he's doing a nice thing, reaches back and steadies the Ark. And when he does, God strikes him dead. Now you have to seriously consider at that moment how everything comes to a screeching halt. I mean, you got 30,000 people who were cheering and people who were singing. I can just kind of hear all the instruments going, "Eh." like what in the world just happened? Everything stopped. You can probably hear a pin drop. You have now... Uzzah who is dead in the middle of this procession. He's out in front leading the cart. The Ark of the Covenant is on the back of the cart. He's dead now. And what happens is the Bible says that David experiences, the Scripture reflects two emotions. His first emotion is anger. It says David is angry. He's angry no doubt because he's angry that God has killed him. He's experiencing emotion here. Listen, God is a big God. If you've ever been angry with God, I'm not encouraging you to be angry with God, but I'm just letting you know God can take our emotions. And sometimes you might be angry with God because you don't understand what has happened here. David was angry with God. God can take his emotions. God can take your emotions. The second emotion we see, though, is he was afraid of God says in the passage, and then he was afraid because he thought, well, then how can I ever bring up the Ark of the Covenant? If God's going to be killing everybody that I use to bring up the Ark, how am I ever going to relocate this properly? And he's afraid of God. He's like, I don't want anybody else to die. He's angry and afraid. So what does he do? Bible says then that he says, all right, we're not going to go any further. We're going to take the Ark of the Covenant, and we're just going to put it off on the side of the road here. Nearest house was a guy by the name of Obed-Edom. We're going to put it at Obed-Edom's house, and we're going to park it there. The Bible says it stays there three months while David just seeks the Lord. What went wrong? What in the world happened here? He doesn't understand. Now, we have the perspective of Scripture to understand what's going on here. What's going on here is that there's some flesh involved in this. And when I say flesh, what I mean is, there are some people in this scene who are doing things their own way, not God's way. And they are doing it for their own benefit, not God's benefit. Now, I know that they've incorporated worship in this whole thing, but don't misunderstand, you know, worship doesn't just cover over corruption that might be underlying. There's some corruption underlying here. There's some things that are not right, and somebody has died. Whenever we try to do things ourselves, for our own benefit, according to our own capabilities, thinking that we know what we're doing best, it's usually a mess. And when we stop and consider what does God want, and what is His prescribed way, and what would most glorify Him, it goes far better. Here's some of the flesh we see involved in this scene here. First of all, they're transporting it the wrong way. They're not supposed to transport the Ark of God, this sacred article, on a cart that is hauled by a couple of oxen. That is not God's prescribed way. What was God's prescribed way? Many of you know this as we've made our way up to this point through the Bible. God had a prescribed method of transporting the Ark of the Covenant, and it was this. It was only to be carried by the priests... That's the Mosaic law. Only the priests were to carry the Ark of the Covenant, and they were to carry it by hoisting it on their shoulders. There were rings on the sides of the Ark through which poles were passed, and then the priests would hoist the Ark of the Covenant, holding the poles up on their shoulders. That's how it was to be transported. That's what God said is the way to do this. That's the way you're supposed to transport the Ark of the Covenant. The wrong way is the way they were doing it. The way they were doing it was hauling it on a cart driven by oxen. And you can ask yourself, why were they doing it the wrong way? Because of the influence of the Philistines. Where'd they learn to do it the wrong way? They learned to do it the wrong way because that's the way the Philistines sent it over when they were afflicted to get rid of it. They put it on a cart driven by some oxen, And now when it's time to relocate it, the Israelites are imitating the pattern of the Philistines. Please hear me on this. The Philistines are godless people. They don't worship the Lord. They don't seek the Lord. They want nothing to do with God and the people of Israel. They represent the world. Folks, there are a lot of worldly ideas out there. Not every idea in the world is wrong, but we have to be very, very careful as Christians that we're not living our lives simply imitating the pattern of this world. Our standard is to be God. Our standard is to be His Word. And we have to be very careful. As Christians, we are to live in the world, to function in the world. We are to witness to the world. We are to love the people of the world. But we are not to be shaped by the world. And Israel was being shaped by the world. Let's just put it on a cart. Let's just have a couple of oxen, hook them up, put it on a cart. We'll pull God all the way to Jerusalem. That was not the way God said to do it. So eh, wrong way, the right way was the priests were to hoist it over their shoulders. So there's this worldly kind of fleshly influence going on here. That's one thing. The other thing you have to recognize is there's a little bit of showboating going on here. And to be quite honest with you, you see here the oxen are being led by two guys out front. Uzzah and Ahio. They're brothers. They're sons of Abinadab. And out front, you got thirty thousand people lining the street while two guys are out front. Hey. Hello. Yes, we're just leading God along to Jerusalem. Hello, yes. My name is Uza. By the way, Uzzah in Hebrew means strong one. And my name is Achio. Achio means brother. So you have strong one and brother. You got brawn and bro right out front. Yes, that's us. We're brawn. We're bro. And we're leading the parade. Yeah, that's us. We're all out in front. This is such a... This puts God behind you. and While you're like leading the Ark of the Covenant. Like you're out front here. There's some worldly influence here. And so when Uzzah reaches back and touches the sacred article, there's so much work worldly, fleshly kind of stuff going on here, mixed with worship, that God strikes Uzzah dead. Now, he was not angry with just one man here. God was sending a message to the nation that is important for all of us to hear. And the message is basically this. You can go ahead and do things your way, for your honor, the way you think is best, and you're going to create a mess. Or you can do things my way. That's always the choice for us, folks. We can go through life thinking to ourselves, I know how to do this, and I know what's best, and I know, and we can make a mess of things. And some of you know from experience all too well what I'm talking about. You've gotten yourself in a predicament that is terrible. Now, fortunately, God doesn't treat us according to how our sins deserve, okay? It's not like He goes around striking people dead when you disobey Him, thankfully. You know, Old Testament, you see a lot more of that. And the reason is because under the Old Testament, they were under law. When you're under law, you get what you deserve. New Testament, the sacrifice of Jesus dies on a cross. We're under the mercy of the Lord, so we don't get what we deserve. That's why even David looking forward prophetically when he would write Psalm 103, he would say in verse 9, the Lord will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. But as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. And David saw prophetically, that's the God of mercy who does not treat us as our sins deserve. So thankfully, today, God doesn't typically deal with us that way. Now, it isn't to say that He couldn't, because God can do anything. Even in the New Testament, He struck Ananias and Sapphira, because they lied to Him about an offering that they were presenting. They lied to the apostles, and in essence lied to the Holy Spirit, and God struck them dead. But He doesn't typically deal with us that way. Having said that, when we do operate in our flesh, and we try to do things our way, and not involve God as the central lead in our lives, some things could die. Maybe not us ourselves. We won't get punished in that way. But you start trying to lead your own life the way you want to do it and you want to be in control, you might see the death of a business. You could see the death of a career. You might see the death of a marriage. You could see the death of a friendship. You could see the death of a church. We need to understand what does God want us to do? What is God's way? What is God's best? What honors God? What happened here in this story is that David said, we're going to put this Ark of the Covenant off to the side here while I seek the Lord for the next three months, 90 days. Just needed to seek the Lord. And then after he seeks the Lord, he realizes some things that they weren't doing right. And he goes back to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant and they do it the right way. And they bring it all the way up to Jerusalem and nobody dies. This is chapter 15. Go to chapter 15 because my time has almost escaped us so I've got to hustle through this. But in chapter 15, I want you to see here four things with me about how we should do things God's way. This so is when David comes out of this three-month time period, 90 days, he seeks the Lord. He realizes, okay, this is what we need to be about. First thing I want you to notice with me in chapter 15, this is all in chapter 15, verse 13. David says, it was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up, meaning the Ark of the Covenant, the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. He goes, okay, I realize this, it shouldn't have been on the Ark, I didn't use the Levites like we should have done. And then he adds, we did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. Circle that, inquire of him. It's the very first thing on the list, pray. We need to be people of prayer. You want to do something God's way, you need to seek His face and pray. And I want to be specific here in this issue of prayer because as I was working through this and prep for today, the Lord just kind of ministered to my heart one particular area, so I'm going to call it out, okay? I'm going to challenge some of you to pray who are considering divorce, and I'm going to challenge you to a 90-day time of prayer. Not that there's anything magical about the three months here, but just as a pattern we see here in Scripture and this story, I'm going to challenge you to a 90-day time of praying about your marriage. Some of you might say, I've already been praying about my marriage, and this person isn't going to change. Yeah, that's the problem. We always think that when we pray, it's always about, God, just change the other person, and then I'll be a better person myself. I'm going to challenge you to pray about three things as it relates to potentially you considering a divorce. I want you to pray, one, God, give me wisdom. I want you to pray, two, God, do a miracle. And I want you to pray, three, God, change me. Not the other person. We're always so quick to pray, you know, Lord, if this stinking person I'm with that you gave me, if you just changed them, man, it would be so much better. No, 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 no. No, pray for wisdom, pray for a miracle, and pray for yourself, that God would change you. And I want you to come back to me in 90 days. I want you to tell me what God has done differently in your life. I believe God wants to do a miracle. But we need to be praying people. David was a praying man. He got on his face before the Lord and he realized what we all need to realize. I realize I am more prone to operate in my flesh most When I pray least, I am most prone to operate in my flesh most when I pray least. We need to be people of prayer. Number two, verse 14. Look at verse 14. So the priests and Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. Circle the word consecrate. If you have a King James Bible, it is the word sanctify. In Hebrew, it is kadash. It means to make morally and physically pure. We need to pursue holiness. You want to do things God's way? Pursue holiness. I know it's kind of an old-fashioned word they only used to use years ago in old-fashioned camp meetings, but it is a relevant word that is timeless because it's all through God's Word. We need to be people of purity. We need to pursue holiness. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises, these wonderful things that God's done for us, Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. God calls us to a life of moral purity. Not a life of moral purity because we follow a bunch of rules, but a life of moral purity because we are motivated by a relationship that we have with Jesus. That's why Titus chapter 2 says, that His grace bringing salvation has appeared to all men, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the glorious return of Jesus Christ. What motivates us to holy living? It's the grace of the Lord Jesus. When we recognize all that He's done for us, and we focus on the wonderful grace of God towards me, oh, how wonderful you are, Lord, all that you've given me, Lord, your grace motivates me to holy living we need to pursue holiness number three verse 15 it says and the levites carried the ark of god with the poles on their shoulders as moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the lord number three we need to live according to the word of god we need to start doing what god says the way he says to do it we need to read our bibles more than just coming on the weekend or midweek study we need to take time alone with the lord in quietness get alone with him take our bibles ask him to speak to us through his word to challenge and encourage us to comfort us and console us to rebuke us wherever we might need it and james says don't just listen to god's word and so deceive yourselves do what it says and you'll be blessed Let God's Word get in your heart. Start living your life. Start managing your money, relating to your spouse, raising your kids, conducting your business according to the principles that you see throughout Scripture. Let that be your guiding point of reference. Finally, also in verse 15, first part of verse 15 says, And the Levites carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders. That's the way that they were to transport the ark of the covenant. And they finally got it right here on the second try God wants to be lifted up he doesn't want to be dragged behind he doesn't want us out front leading he wants to be lifted up you know the scene of many great movies or many realities of a winning game where the team wins in overtime the national championship and there's this great celebration you know and this is wonderful and the team rushes over what well, they often do they hoist the coach up on the shoulders And they carry him around. Why do they do that? Two things. One, because they want to honor him, respect him, and show appreciation. Great coach, great victory. And they do it also because they want to parade him publicly so that everybody else might cheer him as well. See, that's what we need to be about in our lives. We need to honor and display the Lord in all that we do. We need to lift him up. We need to honor him and exalt him. We need to show our love and appreciation for him. And we need to hold him in high esteem so that a watching public can rejoice as well in the goodness of God. And these are the things that David realizes. And when he changes all of this, they finally transport it the right way because they do it God's way. Now a closing footnote, and then we'll be done. I want you to notice the last verse of chapter 15 with me. Verse 29 says, As the ark of the covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. Now this is David's wife. Michal is the wife of David. The Bible says as a result of this that God will judge her and she will be barren and never produce a child. So he's displeased at her reaction. But I want you to note her reaction. She sees her husband in the parade now coming up with the Ark of the Covenant. Everybody worshiping, rejoicing. The Bible says that David has even taken off his royal robe as the king down to this normal tunic that is the common man's tunic. He wants to be just like everybody else because we're together worshiping the true Lord. And... Michal looks at him and sees this and it says she despises him in her heart and maybe for a variety of reasons we could speculate but it's not worth us speculating here's the point I want to make you start getting serious about these kind of things you pray you pursue holiness you live according to the word of God you honor the Lord in all that you do there's going to be some people who won't like you it's just going to happen So just deal with it and be prepared for it. There's going to be some people who don't like you when you get serious about Jesus. But take heart. Jesus said to us in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you. For my name's sake, rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven.
1: The book of 1 Chronicles is a unique look at the life of a man we may already be familiar with. King David didn't have an easy road to the throne, but in everything, God was still his ultimate goal and focus. He stumbled along the way, yet God still called him a man after his own heart. The story of David is encouraging, and we hope today's message has been encouraging to you as well. If you'd like to listen again to today's message, you can find it at cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, search through our archive of other messages or download our mobile app to take Cornerstone Connection with you on the go. You'll also find more information there about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel. If you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, we'd love to have you come join us for one of our weekend services. Our group of believers gathers each week on Sundays and Wednesdays to get to know each other, study God's Word, and spend time worshiping Him for all He's done. Service times and directions can be found on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There's much more to learn from the book of First Chronicles. but That's all we have time for today. Join us again for more from God's Word right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say
0: you're a wandering soul That you've got
2: no place to go But still you know still you know You're not a